Zipporah Osei always planned to attend college, but her idea of exactly what that meant was somewhat fuzzy. I think a lot of people take for granted the amount of knowledge that you get throughout your life about college when you have parents who have gone to college. Um, so just the like conversations about living in a dorm or conversations about FAFSA that just kind of trickle in throughout your life so that by the time you get there, these phrases aren't completely foreign to you. Zipporah had these knowledge gaps because she is the first in her family to go to college. These days, she's telling the story of her college search and her time as an undergrad in an email newsletter called First Gen. Along the way, she's offering lessons that she learned and, and she's candidly sharing details about her own experiences and even her finances. This is the kind of information most people kind of keep to themselves. Her hope is that other students like her will learn and benefit from her struggles. But the project can also help educators and school and college leaders get a clearer picture of what it feels like to be the first in your family to go to college. Well, I think the biggest thing is just the comfort level, not just knowledge, but the lack of comfort in being in a, a space that's foreign to you is something that's can be very jarring for a lot of first-generation students. I know it was jarring for me. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, an editor and reporter here at EdSurge. And today we are talking about the first-gen experience and what first-gen students face in this time of economic and social unrest. That might be bidding it too lightly. I, I mean this time of global pandemic when the world seems like it's falling apart. I've been following Zipporah's newsletter, and it's a great read. She's been doing this for about six months, um, applying the skills she's learning as a journalism major um, in this side project she started by herself. The newsletter is now hosted on the journalism nonprofit Open Campus. I will confess I'm a fan of that. In fact, I'm an informal editorial advisor. It was started by a few former Chronicle of Higher Education editors. I used to work there. Anyway, that's how I found out about the newsletter. Zipporah's story started in Yonkers, New York, which is not too far outside of New York City. College was always something that was on my radar. Um, so my mom is an immigrant from Ghana, and f from the time I was really young, she really emphasized the importance of getting an education. Um, and I saw the ways that she, for most of my life, my mom has worked at least two jobs. And so I saw the importance of getting an education in this country so that you can um, have a little bit more stability in your life. Um, so that was that was never really a question for me. I always knew I was going to college. Um, it was just a matter of once I actually got to the point of applying to schools, n knowing how to navigate the application process when you know that you have this end goal, but you don't really know how to get there. She says her college search involved a lot of figuring things out on her own. And the only colleges she could actually visit to tour were ones in the New York area that she could get to on public transportation. Yet in the end, she actually picked a college farther away from home in Boston. I ended up going to Northeastern University, um, both because of their um, co-op program and me wanting to go into journalism, thinking that, that was a, a good way to get experience, but also because they gave me the biggest scholarship and so it made financial sense. Um, and I actually had never seen Northeastern until after I put my deposit down. So this is, so you were going I, to Boston, knew, but you had never seen the school until you were saying, for yeah, sure never, I'm going. I'd never even been, yeah, had never even been to Boston. Huh. Um, so that was kind of a, a leap of faith that I took there, but it was, I, 
I knew that going to college was going to be challenging and I didn't want financial burdens to be a challenge on top of that. And so I figured I'm going to go to the school that gives me the most money and I hope I like it. Um, thankfully, it, it did end up going well for me. Um, so I went to Northeastern's journalism school um, and I loved my experience there. The school, Northeastern as a whole is a pretty big school, but the journalism department is very small. Um, and so I really got the hands-on um, sort of approach from faculty and that I really um, needed and didn't really know that I needed um, when I was applying. And it was helpful because I think a lot of the help that I got throughout my career and at college came from professors and came from um, educators. And it was nice to be able to build those kinds of relationships. And then Northeastern has the co-op program. And so I was able to get some career experience as well. Um, and I did internships at the Boston Globe, the Chronicle of Higher Education and Chalkbeat. And that's when I really kind of discovered my love for education reporting um, and education inequity issues. I asked her if there was a moment or an anecdote from her early time in college that kind of serves as an example for what it feels like to be a first-gen student. I think for me, it's not so much one particular moment, moment, but a lot of small moments that seem kind of innocuous. Um, things where you're, you're having a lot of the of the experience in freshman year is talking to people about your high school experience because that's kind of the common ground that you have is you're all going through this new thing. Um, and so you mentioned to someone, oh, you know, I'd never actually been on campus until I like put down my deposit and came for orientation and that's a shock to them. Or you mentioned that you fill out your FAFSA by yourself and you fill out your parents' portion for them as well and that's a shock to people. Um, you mentioned, I spoke to someone who said that they mentioned that they, the first time that they ever were on a plane was when they flew to come to campus. Um, and so it's it's the little moments, I think, that start to build up, not so much having one specific um, uh, life-changing moment. You know, did your university to Northeastern, do you feel like it offered resources for first-generation students, or did you have to really find it on your own? Yeah, I do think I had to seek it out on my own. Um, I will say that that's starting to change, um, that there is a First Generation Student Alliance um, affinity group on campus that um, I know has been trying to reach out more to people. But in for most of my time at Northeastern, it was definitely something that I had to navigate on my own. And I think a, a lot of it is that when, so I'm, I'm a black student and so when you come to a campus and there's something that makes you different that's very visible, you can find people who are like you and meet and meet people that way. Whereas when you're first generation, there's nothing on you that says that you're first generation um, typically. And so it can be hard to meet other people who have that experience. And then you don't wanna necessarily out yourself as being different than other people. So it, it can be, it can, feel nerve-wracking to reach out if people aren't reaching out to you. Um, and I'm hoping that that will change and that like my college and other colleges will think more about how to meet first-generation students at the beginning and guide them through college rather than um, hoping that sometime in their junior year they realize that they should reach out to someone. Sure. Yeah, now this last semester, as you were finishing your time in college, was, wow, um, the pandemic hit and 
everything shifted online. I'm sure, you know, probably around a spring breakish time frame, probably I'm guessing at Northeastern. It seemed like that was the, the typical. Um, what was that what was that like to to be all of a sudden um, probably just when you thought you had it all figured out, you know, the, the college isn't accessible anymore, you're going online. What was that like? Yeah. Yeah, so that was, I mean, it was around spring break. It was actually the week we got back from spring break was the week that everything kind of shut down. And so the semester, things happened very quickly. Um, we were in classes one day, and then the next day it was rumors that maybe we won't be in classes next week. And then um, obviously news came out that we wouldn't be on campus for the rest of the semester. So that was, I think it was difficult for me because I had pinned a lot to my graduation um, and going through the experience of finishing college in that traditional way of walking across the stage. And so having to lose that experience was difficult because college ended and it didn't really feel as though anything had changed. Um, It was just kind of, it, it felt kind of like an unceremonious end to this experience that I had spent so much time um, invested in and thinking about. So that was difficult. But I will say that I am, I, I understand that in the grand scheme of things, that's not the worst thing that could happen in the world. You know, my mom is um, an essential worker. And so I have the perspective there where I understand why it had to happen the way that it did. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily um, take away from the fact that this is an experience that um, you feel almost robbed of. Yeah, no, I mean, I understand that. So in other words, yeah, this was something you didn't have just everyone just kind of helping, you know, of course, you're going to go to college, here's how to do it. So you and you, you're just sort of, this is it. And then at the last minute or the last semester, it's like, okay, no, there's no ceremony, there's no, so it's just kind of anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the family aspect of it, too, because I know my mom and my siblings were so excited to come. And we had been just days before they had, um, they canceled uh, classes and everything went remote. I had been on the phone with my mom talking about booking um, a hotel or an Airbnb for her to come for graduation and then to have to call and say it's not actually going to happen was sad. So that that was also part of it. I, I mean, I'm glad that I was able to finish college despite everything that's happening because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Um, but there is definitely that, like, that hope that I get to celebrate the experience some way um, in the future. Okay, so what does this first-gen student want professors and educators to know about her experience? What should educators be aware of? Um, I think it would be to challenge your assumptions about what the college experience is like for your students. I think people make a lot of assumptions based off of what their own experience is like or what is or what uh, the quote-unquote traditional student is, but their students of all backgrounds, not just first-generation students, have different challenges and um, are experiencing college in very different ways. And so just if you come at it with flexibility from the start, I think you're better off than having to adjust your expectations later when you run into a situation where a student um, is maybe working full-time while taking your class and so they can't meet this they can't do a very specific uh thing that you have asked them to do you know and that's vague but it it's i think it's it's different for each person so it's hard to come up with like a blanket statement but 
yes, I do think the most important thing is to just be aware that there are different um, experiences out there. Yeah, no, it sounds like to see and listen to your students instead of just kind of thinking through their own lens as the professor being like, oh, I I remember being in their seat. Mm -hmm. Because it's a very different situation for everybody. Mm -hmm. Now that she's newly graduated, she may not have gotten the ceremony, but she did get the diploma, her newsletter is focusing on the issue of having to pay back her student loans. Her most recent installment describes staring at that loan balance. I asked her to read aloud what she wrote. I have $23,316.51 in student loan debt, all federal and thankfully still in the grace period. I debated including the exact dollar amount of the money I owe in this newsletter because of all the sidestepping we're taught to do around money and debt in particular. The logic seems to be that if everyone's got it, what's the point of getting into a pissing contest about who has more? Acknowledging the ballooning student debt loan crisis in this country has been done before, but I found that students and grads tend to avoid the hard conversations about it and stick to jokes. So to my fellow first gens out there currently racking up or paying off student debt, I'm laying mine out on the table. I think we should talk about it before it overwhelms us. So in case you didn't catch that, she has a little more than $23,000 in college debt. Do you mind if I ask, like, what do you, when you think of that amount of money, right, what, what is that, what is that to you? I mean, like, to, because I'm sure to some people, like you say, they have a safety net of their family or they, maybe they, um, so there's all kinds of different situations. But from, from your view, like, that amount of money, you're saying it seems colossal or what, I mean, how do you think about it? Yeah. Like, when you think about that amount? Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it seems it's a lot of money, um, just because I know, I know how much my mom made growing with me growing up. And so I know that that amount of money is like, that's almost, that's about half the amount of money that she used to raise three kids with, with me, with me growing up. And so it's, it's a lot. Like for some people, I think that's, you know, maybe a a couple months of work. Um, Whereas I know in other situations that that's something that could set you back for for years and years and because i know that i'm going to be paying it off in increments it also feels like a lot more money it's more money than i've ever had in my bank account it's definitely more than i have in my bank account right now and so it definitely it feels overwhelming and i think that's why it's important to me to try to come up with a plan so that it doesn't always feel so overwhelming so that i know that I'm chipping away at it in a way that makes sense and in a way that hopefully 10 years from now I look at that amount and I'm like, okay, that that was manageable. That was something that I can and could handle. You know, I'm curious too because obviously I'm sure you see the studies on like the payoff for a college degree over time, right? You'll you'll be in a career that will the hope is pay more money and therefore it'll all, you know, make itself back in with with way more. Um, according to statistics, is it, does it, but it sounds like to you, it's, that's almost the leap of faith you're still working through, (laughs) maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to trust those statistics when you see how, um, how easy it is for the economy to just um, tank overnight, Um, especially graduating in the year that I'm graduating. I think what was also hard about graduating in the middle of this pandemic is that I felt pretty confident um, for most of my senior year. I had gotten a fellowship uh, pretty early into my senior year, and so I felt good about having employment for at least a year after graduation. And 
Um, I'm in journalism, and so it's not the most secure industry, but I did feel like I, I had the skills and I had met um, the right people to make me feel comfortable about being able to get a job. And now so much of that is up in the air that it would have been one thing if I was graduating in an economy that felt solid and I felt like for the next 10 years, I can focus on paying off this debt and not be too concerned about other expenses that I may have. Whereas now there's so much that you have to worry about on top of the debt and you, the debt is not something that you can just push aside or hope that somebody will pay off for you. Like it, it, you have to address it. Yeah, I mean, do you think um, for some people, it sounds like from your newsletter that it sounds like you were sort of at a moment where it's like you had to be convinced in your own mind or talk yourself into, even though you won't really, the college is always in the future, but it's still like, wow, taking on this much debt was still like, a, okay. And do yeah. you think there are other people yeah. that maybe don't pursue college that should oh, because they just yeah. they aren't willing to pull the trigger on that? Yeah, definitely. And it's I think that there are a lot of people who have have what it takes to make it through college but just can't bring themselves to justify putting that amount of debt onto themselves without having the guarantee of being able to pay it off later. And I think it's really unfortunate because there are so many people who are missing out on this opportunity that, you know, I talk a lot about college being a way to secure a better future for yourself. And that's true employment wise, but it was also a really great experience for me meeting new people, having new experiences. And it it it's unfortunate that there are people who have a similar background to me who don't get to have those experiences because of the the burdens and the roadblocks that we put in people's way trying to achieve that. She said she almost took out a lot more loans to go to her first choice college. But as she continued in the newsletter, she feels that would have left her with the kind of debt that she might have found crippling. My very naive 18-year-old self nearly signed on for six figures of private loans because a financial aid advisor at the college of my choice told me loans were a valid option after refusing to budge on the minuscule scholarship they'd awarded me. I can thank my mom and high school guidance counselor for walking me off that ledge, but there are millions of students like me who don't get that guidance and end up saddled with debt that they'll struggle to pull themselves out of for years. It's not too hard to buy into the idea that agreeing to a loan you can't afford is fine because everyone has student loans. And it's easy to push aside the increasing dollar amount while you're getting your degree. Then you graduate, you can't avoid it, and there's no one to help you. Do you have members of your family that are sort of like still just maybe are like, wow, what is this college thing? Is this a good idea? Or or that somehow you're, that, that it's sort of made any kind of, yeah, like a tough kind of cultural divide, so to speak, of like being now that you're a graduate versus, some, you know, mm-hmm. not choosing that. Yeah. I think I think what it more is, is that I do think that everyone in my family has an understanding of having a degree is important in this country. What it more is, is that there's a difference in views about what college is for. And so a lot of I have a lot of family members who don't necessarily understand why I chose journalism, why I didn't choose a career that um, in their eyes would automatically give me a job that would that I could take care of myself with and pay off my debt very quickly. Um, and so that's where the difference comes in. I am fortunate that my my mom is very supportive and has been very supportive of me um, doing the 
studying what I want to study. Um, and I think that's because I approached it in a way where I did my research and I, I, I went into college with an understanding of the fact that there were some risks involved in choosing the field that I was choosing. So I, I don't think I was like tricked or confused in that way. But there is definitely that that feeling of, of like you go to college so that you can get a degree so you can get a job. So the degree you get needs to be something that will give you some some level of certainty. So why journalism? Um, I just, so growing up, I always loved to write. And I think for me, Journalism was a way for me to pursue that love of writing, but also to, I have a lot of interest in, you know, equity issues, in uh, community organizing, in the public policy that, like, really shaped my life growing up. Um, And journalism was a way for me to write and to learn more about that and to um, continue to talk to people who have those same experiences. Um, So I find that even in my journalism, the topics that I'm drawn to are the topics that go back to those interests um, and go back to like where I came from, basically. I'm really interested in public policy and social services. And I think that comes from the fact that I grew up in Section 8 housing. My mom used um, WIC when, for all of my siblings. And so I have a tie to these uh, services and the people that use them in a way that I think really lends itself to my journalism and also with education like I I think so much about education I think so much about the fact that the reason that I'm in the place that I'm in now is really because I because of my my journey through K through 12 and through college you know like I went to um, a quote-unquote gifted um, elementary school and so that lent to me going to the IB school that I went to for high school, which then let me go to the college that I went to. And so I think about all those different paths and it really, it's, those are, those are the kind of stories that I want to tell. Um, and I'm, I, I'm happy that I chose journalism because I can do that. Are there other issues around the first gen experience that, that, that you maybe that I didn't ask about that you'd like to touch on or anything else you want to emphasize? Um, I think what I'm thinking about now that I'm a graduate is the ways that being first gen continues to impact you even when you're not in college. Um, So I'm thinking more about employment and about whether or not to go to grad school, things like that. And so that's really what I want. I think my the direction that I want the newsletter to go into. Um, And then I also this isn't so much an, an issue, but something that I'm grateful for in the process of having this this newsletter um, is that I'm, I think I'm most grateful when other students and other grads reach out to me um, about enjoying something that I said in the newsletter or it reflecting an experience that they have. Um, I've already had someone reach out to me about the one that went out this morning. And I always, I love those interactions the most because that's really what I started the newsletter for, um, to just kind of give, to have an approachable space for other first-generation students to feel validated in things that they're thinking about and talking to their families about, but don't necessarily know if they are the only ones going through it. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Each week, we bring you interviews like this one. If you don't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can, please tell a friend or colleague on social media. That's the best way to help spread the word and support the show. And for those who are interested in checking out Zipporah's newsletter, 
It's called First Gen. You'll probably find it on a, a Google search, and we'll link to it on our show page. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. And thanks, as always, to Tony Wan, our fearless managing editor here at EdSurge. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing. Thanks for listening, and be well. Be well.